Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. I hope you guys wouldn't mind a roast episode because today's episode may be a big one. It may be. I'm not giving it all away just yet. Or I could totally have my mind blown or somewhere in between. But regardless, I am going to be breaking down the newest show on Netflix, Hype House. Yes, I indeed put myself through this torture for you. I watched Hype House so you don't have to. You can sit there and sip your coffee with a clear conscience. Unlike me, I was a buffoon. I watched from start to finish every single episode. Yeah, I did it. I did it. And I have some thoughts. But this is all for funsies. Don't take it too serious. It's just a little lighthearted roast, so if you're into that, grab your marshmallows, grab your coffee, and let's sit by the fireside. Like I said, who knows? It may not even be a roast. I might have thought this was the most genius thing to come out of Netflix ever. You'll just have to wait and see. After I'm done breaking down the episodes and giving my final thoughts, I am going to give a bit of streaming news as well, since we haven't done that in a while. There will be timestamps for every episode, my final thoughts, and for the streaming news as well. So without further ado, let's roll the sirens, let's get our drank on, and then get into the episode. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Now on with the hypity hype house show. If you listened to my last episode, you know that I am very sick, or obviously you can probably hear that in my voice. So I have not really been drinking coffee as much as I want to. I have been a basic bitch drinking basic bitch tea, and it's been a wild ride. I'm not drinking anything fancy at the moment, but... I am eating ice cream that has coffee in it. The Ben and Jerry's flavor changes Bruin and it is so good. I am usually very picky with what ice cream I like, especially from Ben and Jerry's. They're the best, but you know, not all flavors are equal. There's certain stuff I like in my ice cream. And this one does not have the stuff that I would normally be a fan of. I'm a New York super fudge chunk kind of gal. This has cold brew coffee ice cream with like little chunks of the coffee grounds in it, but not harsh, not in a way that is not palatable. I was like, what? That is not going to taste good, but it does. And it has marshmallow swirls and fudge brownies. It's very, very similar to like a cookies and cream. The coffee that is in this ice cream is from the brand Black and Bold that I've featured on this channel before. If you don't know, Black and Bold donates 5% of their earnings to underprivileged youth. The brownies that are used in this is from Grayston Bakery, and they have an open hiring policy that offers employment opportunities regardless of your educational background or past social barriers like incarceration or homelessness, things that could prevent you from getting an alternative job. And the artwork on the pint itself is done by an artist named Lacey Jordan, extremely talented. Love that, appreciate that, and it feels really good on my pained throat. Now that I'm on my sugar high, let's get into this Hype House stuff. The description for Hype House reads, From humble beginnings to overnight fame, these are the stories of the most popular personalities on social media as they come into their own, fall in love, and tackle new chapters in their lives. 
It is rated TV 14, but I assumed that their audience would be predominantly like 14 or younger. So that's a bit odd, just throwing that out there. And to clear up any obvious confusion right away, you may be asking yourself, what is a hypity housey? And these sort of houses exist in LA. They're like massive fucking mansions that combine a collective of established and or, you know, up and coming social media stars. And they all film and create content daily. And then they cross promote the shit out of each other. They're basically just what they call content houses with different names. I don't think there are any really popping off right now aside from Hype House. Usually these houses are run by social media management companies. You get to live in a beautiful home and your management gets a chunk of your brand and media deals. The makeup, pranks, drama, all of it, everything that happens, it all needs to be content. It all needs to be documented. That's your job to get clicks, to get engagement. That's what you're in the house for. After this Netflix show, I'm sure Hype House will shoot to the sky in popularity. And that'll mean big, big money for Hype House, I'm sure. One thing I learned while watching this show, however, and I wanted to mention it before I get into the episode breakdowns, is that Hype House is not run by a talent agency and no percentage of earnings is taken. So that was a really pleasant surprise. And I think that actually contributes greatly to their continued success. Just wanted to throw that in before we get started. The Hype House itself on TikTok has almost 20 million followers and 5.5 million on Instagram. The members themselves have a combined following of over 40 million on Instagram and over 130 million on TikTok. And that's just at the time of recording. I'm sure by the time this episode goes live, these numbers are going to be shooting up through the roof. Hype House has launched the careers of internet stars like Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio and the ever popular Addison Rae actress extraordinaire. So clearly it's been quite successful. Going into the show, I had my hopes and I had my expectations. My hope was that they showed more than the glitz and the glamour and not even just like the rags to riches shit. I want to know the real shit. I know there's always a sad story about where someone came from and how they got to where they are now. But I want to see the fake friendships, the relationships and connections and reactions and how every single thing that these influencers do, the majority of the time, it's just to gain more likes, more views, more followers. I really wanted this series to show how toxic the environment is when your life is 24-7 creating content. Imagine needing to be entertaining every minute of every day. So those are my hopes, but my expectations, however, were very low. The show literally has Hype House branded right on it, and I had doubt that the Hype House would sign off on this being a smear campaign. Before watching the show, I definitely thought it would be more closed off. I had no expectations that they would show any of the problematic behavior that the inhabitants have shown. I actually had notes that I wrote down about my expectations five days before the show aired. I think this will be a feel-good show. Like, look how Hype House made my life better. Look at the perfectly placed mild drama to make it look real, but avoid any of the actual real issues. I predict the end will be a kind of coming together and the tagline friends before followers will be very heavily pushed. I predict it will all be contrived bullshit that will be mutually beneficial for Netflix, who will have a massive audience. And in turn, I think the Hype House will have a whole new audience of people like me, anyone over the age of 13, really, and in turn will gain some credibility because they were on Netflix. 
It really is genius, even if I hate it. Those were my predictions. After watching the show, my thoughts are a bit more complex. I'm going to break down the episodes and then get into my final thoughts. After I'm done breaking down all of the Hype House fun, I'm going to get into a bit of streaming news. And once again, everything is timestamped. If you have not finished the show, I have episode one, two, three, all the way through eight timestamped, as well as the streaming news. If you don't give a single shit about Hype House, you just want the news, you can fast forward to that as well. In the first episode, we get started on introductions to the house members. Some are brief and some are more in depth. We meet the daddy-o and creator of Hype House, Thomas, and I thought he was like my age and I'm like, oh wow, that's impressive. No, 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 no. Thomas is a friggin' baby. He's literally 22 years old. He acts a lot more mature, but that definitely blew my mind. He is definitely set up to be the good guy, kind of, uh, very early on. That seemed to be the narrative that they really wanted to push from the beginning. Not saying that he's not a good guy or, you know, he's a bad guy, nothing like that. I'm just sharing my observation on the angle that they chose. Then, of course, if we have the good guy, we need the bad guy. And that's when we meet Chase or Lil Huddy, uh, whatever. Uh, We get some of Chase's story very briefly, how he has always loved the internet. He had a little bit of traction, but didn't really blow up until he moved to LA. And then of course dated Charlie D'Amelio. I say of course, like I knew that before the show aired. I had no fucking idea. I know her for the coffee at Dunkin' Donuts and she sometimes pops up on my For You page, but it's usually like a stitch. I don't know, but now I know her. However, Chase's focus and passion seems to have changed from TikTok to music, which sounds all well and good, but Chase is a part of Hype House, which means he's living in a Hype House, which we learn he's actually living in a Hype House B, like a separate house than everyone else. But I'll get to that in a bit. There's Hype House A and Hype House B. That's all you need to know right now. So because of this, Chase has an obligation to contribute to the business by doing like a sponsored video a month in order to live in a Cheesecake Factory mansion for free and to reap the rewards of the Hype House benefits. They do start laying those seeds of, ooh, there is some tension here between Chase and Thomas, and these two houses are very clearly divided. Then we meet Nikita, the only person I knew going into this show, really. Nikita explains that she is sort of on the outskirts of the Hype House, not actually a legit live-in member. She likes being involved in the Hype House because it's like reliving her high school experience as her true self. If you don't know, Nikita is a trans woman and she is on this journey of finding herself and finding happiness and the Hype House is very obviously helping her with that. Nikita definitely lays it on thick as if you know Nikita you would expect. It certainly seems very played up for the camera which is typical Nikita. Everything is fake and extra and it's sort of to cover up her true self. We see her dive into that a little bit deeper in a later episode but in this episode we meet Nikita. We learn that she's trans she's on this new life journey of happiness, and that her passion project is her makeup line. We are then introduced to a couple named Alex and Cover, who share their story about how they met on Snapchat. They were a long distance couple for a while, and then Cover moved to California from Hawaii to be with Alex. Even when they were both broke, they were just like sleeping in a car in California, making content until they eventually went viral, and here they are living in the Hype House, being very, very famous. I actually really 
like these two. And more and more as the episodes went on, they seemed very, very sweet. They were like picking strawberries and shit. It was really cute. We get some diet intros for a few other members like Larry, who mentioned he got a lot of shit for joining Hype House. He said he doesn't regret his decision because the members have welcomed him like a family and that being a part of the house has really boosted his stardom big time. We also learn that him and Nikita are very, very close. There's also little intros to Vinny and Mia, but we see more of them and other members later on, and we get to learn more about their stories. Aside from the introductions, we see Nikita show up at Lil Huddy or Chase. I'm not calling him Lil Huddy or Muddy or whatever his name is. That's the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. I'm sorry. We see Nikita show up at his photo shoot. At this point, it was very clear to me that these are setup situations, which is a very typical reality show. But yeah, even the conversation seemed scripted. The vibe seemed very superficial. Some of these friendships kind of have that vibe too, which I knew that before even watching this show. But Nikita showed up and had what I like to call a huddy buddy talk. There are quite a few of those in this show, like little pep talks or emotional talks or, or what's going on? What's like happening with life? You know, those reality show kind of conversations. A lot of those center around Chase. And of course, Nikita does this in a fabulous over the top outfit, which doesn't really add to the authenticity factor, but it's a lot of fun to see her outfits. Chase has yet another huddy buddy talk with Thomas about their issues. As I said before, Chase is blossoming away from the hype house and moving into a more music focused career. And most of that has to be done in LA where the hype house A is not. It's quite far from LA. Thomas does believe that Chase wants to be in LA for his music, but he also thinks that Chase's relationship with Charlie has a lot to do with it as well. And Thomas is upset because he feels a bit let down because Chase isn't really showing loyalty to the brand that Thomas, Mia, and Chase built together. And Mia is Thomas's girlfriend, by the way. This officially introduces that conflict between the three, specifically between Chase and Thomas, but nothing is solved for a while between these two. The first episode kind of drops you into like a particular content creating moment while in the house with one of the kids wrestling a sumo wrestler. Just kind of shows like the hijinks of it all and like how they create content, some of the crazy ideas they come up with. And I felt like that was an appropriate introduction to the house itself and creating content within the house. In episode two, we get to see more of Mia and she is much more vocal about her disappointment with Chase and his behavior. I actually really like Mia. She's a little firecracker. She seems to be the realest person in the house. She's usually just in some chill clothes, speaking her mind, no makeup on, and that was really nice to see. We learn in this episode that Chase, who, remember, lives in Hype House B, the Cheesecake Factory Mansion, uh, he secretly looked for that Hype House B behind Thomas's back. Thomas, you know, being the boss, so not cool. But not only was Chase being a little sneaky sneaky, but, but, but when Chase found a mansion that he was like, oh, okay, this could be a Hype House B, he had his manager reach out to Thomas without Thomas knowing anything that was going on to ask if Thomas would pay for it. Thomas was obviously shook by this, understandably, and was like, damn, Chase, you can't even talk to me like a man about it, but whatever, I'll cover a year rent, but you need to do some brand sponsorships to contribute. And as we learned in the first episode, Chase doesn't contribute at all. 
In the first episode, we also got to dip our toe into the Charlie and Chase relationship water for half a second. And basically, it just consisted of Chase confirming that they were just friends at the moment. In this episode, however, we see more of Chase and Charlie in a quick flash of their breakup and how they are huddy buddies now. But during their breakup, the internet was really nasty to Chase. Chase has this very obviously staged dinner party at Hype House B, which seemed like a way to get Charlie into like a minute of the show, which I'm sure Netflix was really, really insistent on. Because as Larry says later in this episode, she is a walking clout token. The big bad drama in this episode was that Chase didn't invite Thomas to this Cheesecake Factory mansion dinner party, which was weird. To be honest, the whole dinner seemed very awkward, but I will say Charlie seemed like a lovely girl, like genuinely just seemed like a normal teenager. I'm sure she had her image in mind as she was filming this and was coached beforehand to make sure that she appeared low key, but who knows, maybe not. Either way, she seemed like a regular schmegular girl. If you think it's far-fetched of me to say that she was coached on how to appear, please remember social media stars, their whole deal is being an illusion. We don't get to see 90% of their real persona. We see what they want us to see. Curated flaws, curated issues. Even I had to keep that in mind. Like, as I just said, oh, Mia and Cover, you know, they were just chilled out with no makeup. They seem so real. And I don't think that's them being fake, to clarify. I still think that seemed really real of them. But I'm fully aware that they are always going to be real just because they shared a real moment with us. Does that make sense? You can hand me a piece of real chocolate once, but it doesn't mean that I trust that you're not going to hand me shit next time. That was a really bad comparison. I tried to make that sound really deep and it just wasn't, but I think you get what I'm saying. There was an interesting moment where Nikita and Larry sort of allude to Chase and Charlie being secretly together and that they purposely were sitting apart at the dinner party so that it would appear that they weren't together. So that was interesting. Side note, I went into this not wanting to like Larry, really, truly not wanting to like him because of his really ignorant, massive fucking birthday party in LA with every influencer within a 50 mile radius during the height of COVID. I really did not want to like him, but... I will say, watching this, I found myself really drawn to him, especially in this episode. We have a very similar sense of humor, and I do find him, like, genuinely very funny, just like I find myself genuinely very funny. Back at Hype House A, Alex talks about how social media is a very high-pressure numbers game, and he's always working to keep up with it, and his storyline stays consistent with this throughout the show. It's kind of that obsessed-with-content kind of vibe with Alex. We see him spend $700 to rent. A, a gyroscope, this spinny thing, for 30 minutes. And during this scene, we are showed a sort of content fail, I guess you could say. Alex was disappointed because it wasn't crazy enough for his go big or go home mantra. And it was kind of sad to see that because it wasn't just a fun time. It was something for content. They couldn't just be in the moment and enjoy it. It was all really for the viewer's experience, which that is in the veins of the entire show. It's always an under underlying theme that their life is content. We see more of Cover and Alex and the negative effect social media has had on their relationship and how the lines are really blurred and it's frustrating for both of them. Mainly Cover, Alex seemed to be a bit more like, hey, this is my job. It is what it is. Even after a fight, Alex apologizes and brings this like cute fox thing from a sanctuary to the house and films it, taking any moment that could be even slightly interesting, no matter how intimate it is, making it content. Nothing is too intimate, personal, or romantic. It all has to be put out there, you know, which is very sad. 
We also get to see more of Thomas and Mia's relationship and how they are really the mom and dad of this house. They talk about how the members are unappreciative and they don't clean up and they don't pull their weight by filming content. And they discuss adding new members because business really isn't that great and they're behind on brand deals, which is another theme that is in the veins of every episode. Ungrateful members who don't pull their weight and it's an ongoing frustration for Mia and Thomas. Then, of course, we knew it was going to happen. The idea of being canceled came up. And then there were these generic headlines that popped up and all of the members divulge how being canceled affected their mental health. I'm sorry, this whole portion of the episode was just fucking stupid and it made no sense in my opinion. Do we not understand what canceling means? It is so frustrating that people choose not to understand this. None of the members of Hype House were ever canceled because they're on a fucking Netflix show. Please, please, honestly, canceling isn't even a thing. Go back to fucking Adam and Eve. They were canceled, fucking banished from the Garden of Eden, okay? Not you having backlash over being a crappy human. Are you under a microscope? Absolutely. Are you losing some brand deals? I'm sure of it. Does it take a toll on your mental health and do crazies online threaten your life and that scares you? Absolutely. Those people are out of line. All that is true. But let's not act like you were banished from all opportunity and lose all of your privilege of being a star online. No one has ever actually been canceled. Never, ever, ever, ever. Have you maybe lost a chunk of your following? Yeah. But like, am I missing something? Truly, I don't understand. If I don't like you blackfishing or I don't like that I just listened to a video of you throwing out the n-word with a hard r, I'm choosing not to support you. That's my choice as a human being. That's not me canceling you or being a little snowflake. That's my decision and I'm allowed to have it. Your actions did this and you're being held accountable. I don't understand what's so hard to grasp about that. Let's just shut the fuck up about canceling. It should have been control alt deleted when Mr. fucking tuck the dick bow tie Carlson spoke it. Anyways, back to the show. My rant is over. This episode ends with Nikita and her talent manager planning a dodgeball game for the two houses. And Nikita gets a call from her manager saying there's some word from Larry's management that Nikita was forcing him to come to a party when he tested positive for COVID. But Nikita claims that that never happened and that Larry actually told her that he tested negative and blah, blah, blah. And that introduced tension between Larry and Nikita. At this point, I was rolling my eyes. I can't remember if it was this episode or the last episode, but Nikita said very briefly, I threw Larry a party during COVID and it was dumb and irresponsible. It was really nice that she addressed this even briefly, but for those of us who followed Nikita's actions in real time afterwards, we know she wasn't sorry at all. So this scene just added to my annoyance. After Larry tested positive, production shut down for two weeks and everyone had to quarantine. A few members go to a vintage shop after all that quarantining is over and Larry says, Nikita's been ghosting me and I don't know why. When you can see in his eyes, he knows damn well why. The two finally see each other at the dodgeball game and Nikita was very clearly again laying it on thick. She like flipped her hair in his direction and pussy stunted away. It's like she's trying to be the persona of 
of a mean girl in an early 2000s chick flick blended with like Kim K during her time on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It's almost like she's doing what she thinks a reality star needs to do. Nikita does say that she has this dragon that is her persona that hides her true self, which I think is what the larger than life fakety behavior is, which I think is sad. Once again, it's blurring the lines of social media and reality and it creates this illusion for the world, but also kind of confuses yourself. I do feel bad for her in a way. Larry and Nikita go on to discuss their issues. Larry admits that it's his fault. It was like his management team that put that statement out there and it wasn't true and they make up, but it still seems like a bandage over a gunshot wound. There is definitely a lingering problem underneath the surface. We have yet another huddy-buddy talk between Chase, Alex, and Thomas. Alex and Thomas break down why Chase isn't pulling his weight, and Chase finally admits that he doesn't want to post the sponsored deal contents on TikTok. Being on TikTok and social media just isn't his vibe anymore. We also get a fuller introduction to Vinny in this episode. When I was checking these people out pre-show to get a better understanding as to why they're so popular, I literally wrote this in my notes. Shirtless TikTok content. He looks like every other boy on TikTok thirsty strapping. Good for him, but I'm allowed to laugh because it's funny. He just sensually pushes his hair out of his face while casually flexing his abs or literally reaches into a counter and gets 9 million views. Honestly, like good for him. I think it's funny as fuck, but clearly it's being enjoyed. And Vinny says pretty much the same thing. He's like, I don't watch my shit back. It's cringe. It's weird. And he's like, I just thirst trap. That's, that's my content. And I love him for that. I thought that was so refreshing. He's definitely got some self-awareness going on. Quite a few people in Hype House A, I would say, are pretty self-aware, and I wasn't expecting that at all. We also learn his passion project seems to be Twitch streaming, and he also mentions he's a bit of a hothead, which I assumed at this point would set something up for a later episode, which, spoiler alert, it does. Later in the episode, we see Chase continue his music journey as he's prepping for a show, which he seemed to be really nervous about. Thomas, during a confessional, chimes in with his opinion on that because obviously Chase believes he needs to step away from TikTok to be taken seriously as an artist. But Thomas says people look at Chase as Lil Huddy or like this e-boy who dated Charlie D'Amelio and his audience is mainly like 14-year-old girls. Thomas thinks that if Chase abandons TikTok to be more of an artist, he's abandoning his fans and they in turn will abandon him. I personally believe both is true. I really am not a huge fan of Chase, but I do think he has a point. There's yet another dinner where I fucking can't. Nikita hired a fake paparazzo and she is notorious for doing this or going to that, uh, what's it called, Saddle Ranch, where all the influencers go just to get paparazzi to feel like a real life celebrity. So this paparazzi is outside the restaurant snapping pics of her in this incredible bedazzled getup while everyone else is in this like chill kind of, I guess, glam. I wouldn't even say glam. And it's to celebrate the anniversary or two years anniversary of her makeup line. At the dinner, they discuss how Vinny isn't vibing with the social media and how he hates it. Vinny isn't there, by the way. This is everyone else speaking behind his back. Thomas says that regardless of how Vinny is vibing or isn't vibing, he is very beneficial to the house because the men love him for his gaming and the ladies love his thirst trap. So he's kind of the best of both worlds. Nikita vents at dinner about the Larry situation and how upset she is and how betrayed she 
felt by him, and it was seemingly a genuine moment, but who knows with her. Episode 4 starts with Nikita, and at this point, as I'm watching, I'm like, this is a very Nikita-centric show for someone who's not even a member of Hype House. There was a very unnecessary scene of her mentioning Trisha Paytas, and her and Nikita are literally like the two biggest trolls on the internet, so I don't know why the pod is calling the kettle black. It just seemed out of place. It wasn't mentioned again throughout the series at all. It was almost like Nikita just wanted to get her dig at Trisha for a second and then poof, it was all done. Nikita again downplays her problematic behavior in this episode, which at this point really just made me want to turn it off. I was very turned off by her and her whole presence on the show and how disingenuous it felt. Even during her best moments where she can be very charming, it just didn't make up for the fact that it felt very disingenuous. I'm really glad I didn't turn off this episode because the rest of it was really great, probably my favorite episode of the entire series. Alex plans a fake marriage for 24 hours to his girlfriend Cover, and she's extremely hurt by this because she really, really wants to be married and this toys with her emotions by clickbaiting proposals and filming a fake wedding. It's just not nice. And Alex is fully aware that all Cover wants is to be married after three years of being in a relationship together. This kind of furthered the whole storyline between these two having the lines of their relationship on and offline blurred. The scene with everyone getting ready for the fake wedding and even the wedding itself that they filmed was really cute and sweet but it was really sad to see Cover contribute knowing that she was so hurt by it. The content seems fun but it's personally not up my alley. It's definitely geared more towards kids obviously but it was sweet and nice to see them all kind of getting ready for it. Later in the episode, there's some drama because Nikita told Vinny about the dinner they had and how members of the house were talking shit about him behind his back and about how he doesn't contribute. Michael, who's one of the house members and was very vocal at that dinner, and Vinny kind of have a yelling match about it. Vinny and the house daddy-o Thomas catch up later while getting some gains, and this is actually a really sweet moment between the two of them. Thomas does seem really understanding and considerate of his members' feelings. He doesn't want Vinny to feel used for content. He brings that up quite a bit. He basically tells him to just enjoy the ride and have fun and embrace the audience that he's captivated and capitalize on it while he still can. I do feel like Thomas is genuine and his heart is truly set on helping others. But again, 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 I say this while keeping in mind that there is an illusion here. I'm sure he's not all sunshine and roses. He is definitely obsessed with putting out content because that's just how he runs his business. I get that. I do think he has a good heart and his intentions are for the best. But I'm also sure that he is very aware of the image he's projecting, especially on a Netflix show, if you know what I mean. We also get to see Larry visit his grandmother and we see his hometown and we learn more about his upbringing, how his dad was in jail for a while and his mom actually kicked him out when she found out that he was gay and sent him to live with his father who was out of jail at the time because she thought that would straighten him out. He found solace in his grandmother who has always accepted and loved him all along and he's super tight with her now. You can tell that there's that really grounded family bond. His family does not see enchanted by the fame. His grandmother literally is like, I'm not moving out of South Central, even though Larry wants to buy her a house. It was definitely one of my favorite scenes of the whole show, if not my favorite scene. And it again made Larry extremely likable to me. I was trying really hard to fight it. I was at this point, I was like, he seems like a nice enough kid, honestly. 
We also get to see Larry and his roommate Ravon. They have a conversation about how Larry's career was in jeopardy because of his relationship with Nikita. His audience was saying how he's changed his personality because of that relationship and he feels like the black community turned their back on him. Understandably so. He acknowledges that her blackfishing and her really ignorant tweets and ignorant behavior was wrong and he seemed to be catching on to why his black fan base was upset with him in the first place for supporting Nikita. And he begins to plan how he's going to approach Nikita, who is his friend, a close friend, with his genuine concerns. Episode 5 picks up with Larry and Nikita having that blackfish conversation, which I don't think I even shared. Blackfishing is the act of making your skin leaps and bounds darker to appear black when you aren't. It's not like, oh damn, you got a summer tan. It's darkening your skin to an extreme level. And oftentimes, you know, there'll be box braids involved or altering your image and your features to look black or mixed race when you're not. It's highly offensive and it's kind of like an evolution of blackface in my opinion. You can look at images of girls blackfishing and see that for yourself. It's gross. It's disturbing. Uh, People are not being overly sensitive or hypersensitive because they are offended by it. Black women specifically feel very disrespected by it, obviously. And unless you are a black woman, it's not up to you to decide whether or not it's offensive. And black women have spoke about it many, many times, oftentimes very respectfully towards Nikita about their issues with So that's that on that. It felt really good to see Larry say something to her directly, but at the end of the day, she kind of dances over it like, I'm not a role model. I've been hated on my whole life. And then it turns into a conversation about Nikita being the victim. I appreciate Larry saying, nah, like you need to stop and be better. He does it as a good friend would. It is a very realistic conversation, whether us as viewers were satisfied with it or not. If you have a friend and you have serious love for your friend and she pulled a stunt like this and allegedly had no idea that it was wrong. This is probably how you'd approach it, you know, with empathy. But Nikita expertly knows how to spin things into, again, being the victim, which is she absolutely treated with a lot more nastiness because of the fact that she's a trans woman? Of course, I don't doubt that for a second. But wrong behavior is wrong behavior. Two things can be true at once. People are unnecessarily evil to Nikita and millions of trans people around the world. We know this as a fact. Disgusting evil. That doesn't negate nor does it excuse the fact that Nikita has done very offensive things and hasn't really taken accountability for any of it. There are plenty of trans people out there who are treated horrendously, who absolutely have been victimized, but they are not blackfishing. They are not aggressively pushing this I'm a bad bitch and I don't care what anyone thinks villain mentality to like be offensive for offensive sake and ignore an entire community's feelings after offending them. That's just not happening. We also learn more about Alex's home life and how his dad died from cancer when he was very, very young. We also see his frustration when he can't film content because he hurt his foot. This sort of reintroduces his obsession with the numbers and engagement because he is very, very concerned about losing even a few days of posting content. 
Another scene I felt was really important to include, and I'm glad that they did, was the negative reaction to a prank Alex did after the fake wedding video didn't do as well as he wanted. Because of that, Alex was like, all right, this didn't work. I need to do something bigger, crazier, better. So he decided to do a prank where Michael's girlfriend's twin sister, if you can follow that, was kissing Vinny. So Michael would walk in and see his girlfriend's twin sister kissing Vinny. He'd think it was his girlfriend, la la la, right? You get it. Michael wasn't the issue. The issue was Vinny. Even though the kiss between him and this girl was nothing romantic. Remember, Vinny is a thirst trap TikTok boy with crazy fangirls and he is kissing another girl online. Even though this meant nothing romantic, he has some cuckoo followers that sent him and her, mostly her, the girl, death threats. And really any girl that breathes in his direction is going to be in a heap of trouble. And Vinny mentions that this is really taking a toll on him because what if he wants to get a girlfriend in the future? His followers are a major hindrance because they could potentially harm her mentally or even physically just because she's dating him and they think in their weird little minds that they are going to marry Vinny, that they have some possession of Vinny, this kid they don't even know. Episode six starts with a very sentimental moment. Thomas is reflecting on what Hype House means to him and how Hype House was supposed to be a collaborative and a family environment. And now everything has changed and the relationships have all sort of disintegrated. He wants to mend this. And so he plans a trip to a place called Hicksville for all the members from House A and House B to bring everyone together and of course to make some fresh content. We see Alex still sort of struggling with his mental health, especially when dealing with his mom who texted him saying something like, oh, you're a piece of shit, something like that. And he kind of addresses this idea that a 20-year-old millionaire is not someone people would assume should be depressed. And he says that gives him guilt. And he's valid in his depression. Regardless of how much money you have or where you live, what's going on in your life, you're allowed to be depressed. Like, it's a thing. He uses humor to cover up his depression, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Personally, I think Alex's storyline is one of the most important throughout this entire show. He's very relatable and he shows a very vulnerable side of himself that is very important to see, especially for young male viewers. They see this masculine figure as being emotional and having feelings and being depressed. And, you know, I think that's really important to normalize that. It's crazy to think that that's considered feminine. You know, it's just a natural reaction. And it was really nice to see him being genuinely sensitive. There's a weird jacuzzi scene where Hype House B-boys, I forget their names, like Ryland or Baron or maybe both, I don't know. They were talking about girls they like and it was just like listening to an alien race the way they spoke. I felt like I lost brain cells listening in. Chase uses this moment to again double down on how he's single uh, by saying, quote, I've been on my single boy shit. And yeah, so deflecting the Charlie rumors. The overall vibe in the jacuzzi though is that they don't like Hype House A because of Thomas and Mia's business attitude. They feel like it's overbearing. The divide is made very clear in this episode and they further this narrative when they are on their little party bus to Hicksville. Hype House B are on their bus and it's like, let's get lit, spark a blunt, which aren't these kids like 18 years old? Like, why are they drinking on a party bus? Why is that being filmed? Naughty, naughty, bad influence. So they're partying it up, right? And then there's Hype House A on their party bus and they're just tame. They're like playing games on their phone or eating snacks and talking, whatever it is they're doing. Nothing like getting lit. 
Hicksville is actually a really cool place. It's like a quirky little low-key campsite, but it has a bunch of little themed trailers and they've got games and pools. The trip itself kind of showed the clickiness between Hype House A and Hype House B. And then there's a big fight between Mia and Larry because they're both pretty intense and they're speaking on how they feel and they both feel very passionately. Mia's vocalizing the redundant concern at this point about how no one's pulling their weight and no one's filming content like they're in this beautiful place they brought them on vacation and they're not even filming content while they're there so I guess this wasn't just a leisure bonding trip uh Thomas did mention earlier in the show that this was also to create content so a bit of a business and pleasure vacation I do think Thomas has good intentions but all he knows is needing people to make content he's balancing business with living life and needing his members of the hype house to do the same thing and the episode ends with him having a breakdown because no one is doing that. Episode 7 kind of picks up on the opposing side of that argument where the hype B kids kind of share their own perspective of why they're upset with Thomas. They say we're young and they're like parents blah 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 this is what we're supposed to be doing which number one Mia I believe is the same age as them and Thomas is just a few years older maybe two or three years older and two they're living in a house paid for by Thomas and all he's asking for rent is for these kids to make some content not even a lot of content like one video a month maybe there's something I'm missing or maybe this was edited to favor Thomas that's a very real possibility but these house B kids just seem very bratty and entitled little shits Ryland sees Thomas having a breakdown and Ryland's one of the house B kids right he sees that he's upset and Ryland makes a much more valid argument than what they were all saying before about how they're young and they're not supposed to listen or care he said that Thomas put a lot of pressure on content making to the point where it's not healthy and apparently that wasn't always the case. He also makes the point that a lot of people in the Hype House are there because they aren't good with authority and they need their own space and their own schedule. And I think that can be true at the same time that Thomas's points are true. It's a little bit more complex. As I've said like a hundred times in this episode, two things can be true at once. That's why there's a gray area. I don't think Thomas asks for much, but maybe he asks for that little bit a lot. And maybe he asks for it in a very intense way, maybe even in an intimidating way, which in turn pushes people away. Larry and Mia come together and make up in this episode as well and they start to bond. Also sidebar, if I had a flower for every time someone said bestie or biffle, I'd walk forever in a garden. I don't think I've ever actually called someone a bestie out loud, non-ironically. I don't I don't think I've even done it ironically to be honest. The last time I've called someone a bestie was like typing that shit out on MySpace. So, it was very weird to hear bestie, biffle, my bestie, my bestie. It just felt fake, you know? I don't know. Maybe the Youth is bringing that back. Thomas and Alex bring up another really great point about being influencers and why they are driven. They say that there really is no backup plan for them personally, which is what keeps them constantly motivated and almost obsessed with making content because they do not want to go back to the lives that they were living because they had really shitty lives. It was very illuminating. It to me sounded like they were living constantly with a fire under their ass. 
There was also a really nice but really sad moment when Alex and Cover went to Alex's dad's grave and they showed home videos that his dad made for his family to have after he was gone. And these home videos were very obviously a great inspiration for Alex. And he actually dubbed his dad the OG vlogger, which I thought was so cute. It was just a really sweet, sad moment. And again, showed Alex's vulnerable side and we got to see him and Cover kind of be vulnerable together. The final episode. They started off by explaining why Hype House was successful. It's not run by a talent agency. The people they bring in are not brought in like it's a reality show where they're cast. There's chemistry in Hype House. They're not faking friendships because they don't have to. It's not their job, which I kind of don't feel like is true. I feel like there's definitely a pressure to appear like you're friends with everyone in the house, but I can understand why handpicking these people and seeing how they work rather than just casting who you think will cause the most drama or be the most crazy or the most interesting. I can see why the two are different, but I definitely feel like there's still a pressure to make it seem like you're all friendlier than you probably are. Thomas says that despite the hype house being different from other content houses and how it's kind of like a family, he doesn't know if it's going to stay successful because it catapults members to stardom and then they're just too big to stick around, which introduces this sort of doubt about continuing hype house. We start seeing storylines wrapped up and we see the success that members are currently having personally and in their career. Chase had this successful performance of showing his dive into the music industry. He also is signed to Interscope. I don't know if I've mentioned that. And in the last episode, he was saying how his newest song had a ton of views, like 27 million or something crazy like that. And he was very happy with his success. Chase finally comes to the full realization as if he hasn't, you know, several times in prior episodes that he's done with Hype House. He doesn't want to do the social media thing. And he finally actually admits that to Alex and Thomas. And it's really not surprising to them. They knew that this is what this was coming to. And they're very accepting. They're like, you know what? We'll always be friends and nice, soft, cuddly moment there. We see Nikita getting plastic surgery or something altered in her boob or something. And she's discussing her ongoing personal trans journey. She also mentions, because again, she's at like a plastic surgery office, that plastic surgery was crucial for her. She felt like when she got boobs, she felt like her truest self. She felt like a real woman. And I do think it was important that she clarified that that's not the case for everybody. You do not need boobs or any type of plastic surgery to be a woman. She said, you know, some people just change their name or change their pronouns and that's enough for them and that's totally valid. So I'm glad that she clarified that and explained that this was just, you know, a step in her journey to make her feel like her truest self. Thomas has a nice visit with his dad and he admits he's not happy despite all the money he's made and all the success he had. He acknowledges how lucky he is, but that money doesn't magically fix it all, which again, I think that was a really important point to make. He had sort of this breakdown to his dad and he said something really illuminating and it really stuck with me. He said, I think I'm not fine because I'm finally allowed to be not fine. And at this point, again, he's reiterating that he thinks he wants to end Hype House. The finale was Nikita throwing a prom to again sort of relive the high school experience as her true self. And I think this was a nice bit of symbolism to show a celebration of her journey with her friends that helped her have these experiences that she never got to have. Whether or not I believe these friendships are truly genuine friendships that, you know, you or I would say are real. I don't think that matters in this case because either way, Nikita had a positive experience with it. Before the prom 
starts, Thomas sort of drops the bombshell in the confessional. Like, oh, this is the perfect time to officially announce to everyone that I'm shutting Hype House down. Which to me, after all the buildup of frustration and Thomas saying over and over and over that no one pulls their weight. And once Hype House propels these members to stardom, they never talk to him anymore. And it seemed like there was really no winning with this Hype House, which I was confused by that in a way. I felt like it was the right decision to make because it seemed like Thomas was really feeling stuck and wasn't happy with Hype House, but his reasoning for it seemed to be odd. Like, did he want his members to have a ceiling? I don't think he realized that this was the obvious outcome of a successful content house until maybe Charlie and Dixie and Addison all sort of blew up. And then he's like, oh shit, like people aren't going to stay in the house forever. Cover and Alex discuss when they want to start a family and accept that they both may have different timelines, but they have an understanding of that and they are working on a compromise. So they put a bow on that issue. The ending was a nice sum up of why Hype House was important for each member. And just as the episode's about to end and you think Thomas is about to drop the bombshell, in the confessional, he's like, oh, well, just kidding. Seeing everyone together reminds me why I started this house to begin with. And that was kind of an eye roll to me. I'm like, that means the whole thing was a lie. You never wanted to shut Hype House down for real. Like you might've had your doubts. You might've been frustrated, but you were never gonna shut this down. I felt stupid for buying into it. I was like, oh shit, this just got really real when he said that. And I was like, wow, I look like a moron. After the wrap up at prom, there's like a six months later and Alex and Cover and a few other members moved out and Thomas is like, no, it's all good. Like it happens. It's sad, but we've got new members coming in and that's how it ends. It's kind of like a keep a lookout for the next big thing, which is, I mean, great promotion. My final thoughts. Uh, I enjoyed this show more than I thought I would, but it's still like a three out of 10 for me. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed certain members like Mia and Vinny and Larry. They seemed quite annoying when I checked them out on TikTok beforehand, as opposed to like Alex and Cover, who were just kind of like a typical couple on the internet making content together, which I still think that's kind of weird and not healthy for a relationship, but that's their life and it's whatever. I still think they're really sweet. But yeah, I was surprised that I actually enjoyed quite a few of these members and found them entertaining and funny and charming. I don't know how I feel about Thomas. I think he needs like a vacation in the Swiss Alps or like backpacking through Europe, something without any phone or internet, like kick that shit old school. You need to disconnect. Same thing with Alex. I think they could benefit from that. I really wasn't fond of Chase or the Hype House B-Boys. They seem like the kind of dudes that would annoy me at the mall or like hold their phone up at shows for the entire performance and block my view. So I kind of maybe have a little bit of bias, but they just seemed sort of annoying. Nikita, I haven't been a fan of for a long time. I'm just not fond of her behavior and how she chooses to use her platform. I hope she finds all the love and enlightenment and trust to be her true self and not feel the need to be this aggressive dragon person persona to protect herself. As far as the show overall, I thought it was very redundant, very overproduced, but entertaining and interesting for fans of the Hype House. It wasn't unwatchable. It was also very illuminating to see how self-aware members like Vinny were. I always assumed that Thirst Trap boys are very wrapped up in themselves and like wink at the mirror kind of shit, you know? My expectations were fairly low and I genuinely thought this would be a show that tried to make us really believe everything in Hype House was warm and cuddly. I said specifically, I 
thought this would be a feel-good show, but truly it's very depressing. I'm glad that message came across loud and clear, regardless of any other gripes I had. I wanted the show to have that bit of realness to it. We see the lines of reality being blurred and how you can't have a nice moment in life. It all has to be content. It can't just be personal. And that's a lot of pressure. There are a lot of negatives to being in the social media spotlight. And I think it's one thing to say fame isn't all it's cracked up to be. And it's another to actually live it. There are people of all ages who would kill to live the illusion that these influencers project. While I don't think the influencers themselves did much to wipe away the illusion for this show, I think Netflix did a really great job letting us viewers make that connection for ourselves to come to the conclusion that this glamorous life is actually very sad. That about wraps up my thoughts on the Hype House, so I'm ready to move on to a bit of streaming news. There's not much, but it's good stuff. Starting with Netflix. According to Deadline, Adam McKay's climate change satire Don't Look Up is officially a record breaker, with the title attracting the most viewing hours for a movie in a single week in Netflix history. Figures released by Netflix show that this is already the third most watched film of all time behind Bird Box and Red Notice. And when I say the most watched film, that is tracked by Netflix within the first 28 days. We have a release date for Netflix's Ozark Season 4, which will premiere Season 4 Part 1, yes, Part 1, on January 21st. The final season features 14 episodes split into two blocks of seven episodes each. The first seven will debut on Netflix, as I said, January 21st. The second half will also air in 2022, but no release date has been announced yet. Anna Nicole Smith will be the subject of an upcoming Netflix documentary examining her rise to fame and tragic death at 39. Netflix announced that the untitled film from director Ursula McFarlane will feature never-before-seen footage of Smith from a previously unreleased documentary. According to Variety, the documentary will focus on Smith's cultural impact. No dates have been announced yet, but I will keep you updated. Moving on to Amazon Prime. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Amazon Prime has doubled down on its commitment to content from Africa, signing its second licensing deal with a Nigerian studio in under a month. The streamer has inked an exclusive multi-year global licensing agreement with Ant Hill Studios. Ant Hill's post-production arm has been behind some of the top Nollywood film titles. Meanwhile, its animation studio is reportedly the biggest in Nigeria. The deal will give Amazon exclusive worldwide distribution rights to Ant Hill's slate of theatrical releases starting in 2022, which will be made available to Prime Video customers following their theatrical release in Nigeria. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Amazon's TV series based on the Fallout video games is moving into production this year. Deadline and Variety report that Geneva Robertson Dwarit, Captain Marvel, and Graham Wagner from Silicon Valley will be showrunners on the project. The official Fallout Twitter account retweeted Deadline's story by way of confirmation. I will keep you updated with dates on that as well. Very happy that that's in production. Moving into Peacock News, according to The Hollywood Reporter, NBC Universal is looking to the 2022 Winter Olympics to give its Peacock streaming platform a boost. The company said Wednesday that it will stream every event live as well as NBC's primetime show and studio programming on Peacock's premium tier. All paid subscribers will have access with no pay TV subscription required. Just that from Peacock and one little thing from Hulu to wrap it up. 
As of January 6th, Hulu Plus live TV subscribers have access to the live OWN channel, including upcoming series Ladies Who List Atlanta, which is now out, and Kings of Napa, which will premiere January 11th. According to Variety, Hulu subscribers also have on-demand access to OWN's library content, including the massive hits like Ready to Love and Love and Marriage Huntsville. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to hear some more deep dives, I did an entire series on the evolution of America's Next Top Model in four whole ass parts. If you want some roasts as well as some recommendations on what to watch, I also just recently shared my best and worst of streaming 2021. This podcast streams on all major platforms, so you can check those out however you prefer. Today, I'd like to spotlight Advocates for Youth. Advocates for Youth works alongside thousands of young people here in the U.S and around the globe as they fight for sexual health, rights, and justice. Advocates recognize that poverty, homophobia, transphobia, ageism, racism, and sexism fuel sexual health disparities. The organization seeks to redress these social determinants by working in coalition with economic and social justice organizations and by engaging, empowering, and mobilizing young people from marginalized communities to serve as activists and leaders in the field of sexual health. Advocates Youth Activist Network currently are 75,000 strong on 1,200 campuses and in hundreds of communities in the U.S. and more than 120 countries around the world. On their website, advocatesforyouth.org, they offer more information about the issues they fight for, like abortion access, honest sex education, and sexual violence, as well as resources and tools for activists, like fact sheets and health information. And of course, they offer ways you can take action and an option to donate if you are capable and comfortable doing so. Be sure to check out the pod's Instagram at NCQH Podcasts for updates on streaming news. My personal Instagram at L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z. I have an entirely free collection of 31 poems I completed called The Phases of a Great Winter Storm over on my personal Instagram, all curated in a highlight titled Winter Storm. I am also sharing my journey of reading 100 books in 2022 if you want to follow along with that. I also have my larger collection of art and poems titled Myocardium available to purchase on Amazon, the the link for that is also in my personal Instagram bio. And you can follow me on TikTok at L-E-A-M-A-R-Z-Z. Until next time, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong. Stay strong.